Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from over here in Rochester in the UK. Chamat Sandu from over there in Toronto in Canada. It's been a mad week of MMA, Sandu, but mad week of MMA and WWE. And we were just talking before we hit record. We're both pretty knackered right now, right? Pretty tired. No complaints, though. I, I don't want to be one of those guys that complains about being busy, especially, you know, with what other people are going through. But yeah, busy weekend. Smackdown on Friday, UFC pay-per-view on Saturday, Survivor Series on Sunday, and the hits just keep on coming. Good stuff, though. All entertaining, great stuff. If you enjoy pro wrestling and combat sports, and not just the UFC, there was a lot to digest and get through over the last four or five days. Yeah, definitely. I mean, my, my week was mad. We had Bellator on Thursday night. I had um, We had a bit of LFA on Friday night. I had uh, Rising early doors Saturday morning, which is the thing that really did me in. And then we had uh, the UFC on Saturday night. And let's just go straight into that. UFC 255, uh, a fight card that wasn't absolutely jammed with star power, served up some pretty good fights uh, on Saturday night. Plenty of talking points, but the main the main talking point really from that main card, I think, was the performance of the two champions. And in, in fights that they were expected to win, they both won, but they won in a very different fashion. Davison Figueredo will lead, lead off with the main event. Uh, Davison Figueredo completing the first defense of the men's UFC flyweight title, submitted Alex Perez in less than two minutes with a guillotine choke. Good performance from him. And I think if he gets a good run, I can see him becoming a little bit of a star for the UFC. He's got he's got that it factor, I think. And I think the more people get to watch this guy fight, the more excited people are going to be about a man whose nickname translates to the God of War, Sandu. Yeah, I mean, he he done the business on the weekend, Simon. And you talk about him having that it factor. He's wearing silk shirts. He's got those shades. He's got a mean mug about him. He's got that God of War red stripe going through his blonde hair. He's Brazilian. We've talked about this plenty of times in the past with regards to how much of a big market and important market that is for the UFC and they've got a Brazilian champion in Figueiredo he's a breath of fresh air for the flyweight division because he's going in there and he's absolutely killing the competition four fights this year Simon four fights um and I mean what, what can you say I mean he started the year with the Joseph Benavidez fight um sorry three fights but we're, we're, I'm thinking about the fourth fourth fight because that there's some breaking news for us to kind of talk about as well but he started the year with uh, a, a TKO victory over Joseph Benavidez the only asterisk on that performance was the fact that he didn't make weight so he wasn't eligible to to win the UFC flyweight championship the UFC rebooked it this time he did make weight and he submits Joseph Benavidez so he does a double over Joe B and then of course this past weekend he submits Alex Perez and Simon with Brandon Moreno winning earlier on on the card calling for a title shot at the post-fight press conference. Dana White said that they're going to turn these guys around very, very quickly. They are going to be fighting outside of an official, I guess, commitment announcement, social media poster from the UFC. From all the reports from the various media outlets, from Dana White's mouth in the post-fight press conference, this is going to be the brand new headliner for the next pay-per-view in a matter of weeks, UFC 256. And it looks like they needed it because Peter Yan couldn't get his visa situation sorted out. So Peter Yan versus Aljamain Sterling is off. And alluding to what I said earlier in terms of the fourth fight, if 
Davis and Figueredo can defeat Brandon Moreno in a couple of weeks from now and secure another successful title defense and and perhaps do it in impressive fashion, i.e. a finish, it'll be hard to say he isn't the fighter of the year. Because in my book, and I think in most people's books, he would be the fighter of the year. Yeah, he's kind of creeping up on the rails almost without people noticing him. He's kind of doing his work a little bit later in the year. It's been a funny old year for MMA. It's been hard for people to really pick up momentum um, because of the nature of the way the events are being are being held and it's not so easy to uh, to travel around. So anybody who can turn around quickly and, and perform on, not necessarily back-to-back, but within a relatively short time frame, there's a real opportunity there. We've seen it with Hamzat Shemaev, right? He's fought... He's fought three times already, and he only made his debut about two, three months ago. So it's it's crazy, but you know, and and he's he's a lock for breakout fighter of the year as well. So yeah, Figueredo doing the business. Um, you know, you say he he, he stopped Joe Benavidez, but he failed to make weight. Big question mark over. Okay, how's he going to be if he makes weight? He did the job even quicker second time round. That for me was the real statement. It wasn't just the fact that he won. He did it. He did it with a better performance than the first one. So, um, and it could even have been stopped quicker than that as well. So it was super, super impressive. And that main event on Saturday, I think Brandon Moreno should have been in that main event anyway. I was very surprised. Brandon Moreno and Alex Perez were originally booked to face off at that event, and then when uh, when there was a big shakeup, and they decided that they you know they wanted to uh, they wanted to promote one of them. They promoted Perez, which I thought was a little bit, a little bit strange because I thought Moreno had a little bit more, uh, you know, more skins on the wall, so to speak. I thought he'd done, uh, he'd, he'd done the hard yards and deserved the shot first. They gave it to Alex Perez, and uh, Figueroa brilliantly used uh, Perez's aggression against him because um, Perez really pushed the pace early in that fight, got t- got the takedown, but Figueroa was ready for him and uh, locked up that guillotine. Uh, one fifty-seven on the official clock. Davison Figueroa gets it done. Now, if people were expecting Davison Figueroa to get the win, then people were really expecting Valentina Shevchenko to get the win in the co-main event. She was a minus two thousand favorite, which in English betting terms is twenty to one on. Twenty to one on to beat Jennifer Meyer. She did. She beat Jennifer Meyer, but. And on the scorecards, if you just look at the look at the result, Valentina Shevchenko defeats Jennifer Meyer, unanimous decision, 49-46 across the board. Nothing much to write home about there. Everyone would have expected her to win. But that wasn't what we saw in the cage on fight night. What we saw was Valentina Shevchenko really being made to work, especially early on in that fight by Jennifer Meyer. And uh, the only the only the only thing that really came out of it was. Jennifer Meyer was in that fight after two rounds and she had a really good second round. But for whatever reason, she couldn't carry that on through the middle rounds of the fight. If she'd have had another good round in the third, then things would have got really interesting. But Shevchenko made a few little adjustments um, and used her own uh, wrestling and grappling offensively rather than defensively. That completely changed the fight in her favour. Um where she already had an advantage in the striking, but she mixed things up beautifully. Um, it was kind of a take no chances kind of performance. I think she had a lot of respect for Jennifer Meyer. Certainly a lot more respect than I paid Jennifer on last week's show, where I basically said she's got no chance. And the bookmakers basically said she's got no chance. She showed that she had a chance, but Shevchenko made the adjustments and got the win. 
Well, that's a brilliance of Shevchenko, isn't it? She had a bad round two, and she made a few tweaks, and then the rest of the fights, round three, four, and five, it was all one-way traffic. She dominated the fight. And when you look at her record, she's kind of been alternating between a decision knockout, decision TKO. And I think it's good. It shows that she's very cerebral. She can pick her moments. Every fighter, of course, wants to get a submission or a knockout or, or get a finish within the distance. But if that's not possible, the most paramount thing you need to do is win the fight, especially when you're a champion, because you've got those pay-per-view points, and that's where you make your most money. So I think over... And she hadn't fought since February as well, so who knows? Maybe she just wanted to get those 25 minutes in. And Jennifer Meyer, you know, at one point, like you mentioned, that second round, I thought, wow, hang on a second. You know, she's actually doing something here but she couldn't sustain it and unfortunately in this business in a five round title fight one good round isn't enough you've got to do more than that so i'm sure she'll take a, a lot away from that experience of fighting some someone like shevchenko who is the absolute best in this weight class but it's a dominant performance it's a win for shevchenko which we all thought and predicted and i guess the the reign continues as the queen of the flyweights yeah and the thing about the fact that she went to a decision, she actually saw that as a real positive because she had a big, she had a pretty lengthy layoff after the Caitlin Chikagian uh, win. She needed, uh, she needed surgery on her knee. She did her ACL. Um, so she needed that addressed. And I think she might have had a few little worries going into that fight um, with regard to how it might hold up during those grappling transitions. And uh, she spoke after the fight about, feeling good that she went all five rounds in that fight and that it was a real benefit to her having come off knee surgery. So if that's her feeling a little bit shaky, then, uh, you know, that doesn't bode well for the rest of the flyweight division. That's a fourth straight flyweight title defense. She's dominating that division. And speaking after the fight, UFC president Dana White was sort of threw a few names about. And it's interesting because that division is not absolutely rammed with contenders sort of right on the cusp of title uh, contention. But there are options for Shevchenko. You've got um, Zhang Weili could potentially move up and challenge. That would be a hell of a fight. Jessica Andrade is the number one contender right now, I think, per the rankings. Um, so she would obviously be a very interesting test as well. Hard-hitting, powerful, um, and uh, capable of capable of turning a fight on, 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 on its head. Um, and uh, you've also got Laura Murphy knocking around, who is on probably the best in the best form in the division other than Shevchenko. She's knocking on the door quite loudly for a title shot. I don't necessarily think she'll get it. And then, of course, there's the option of maybe Amanda Nunes, but she's got other business to attend to um, with, her, with her two world titles. So there are kind of avenues that you could go down with Shevchenko, where do you think the UFC should match her next, Sandu? There's, there's, there are different options. Andrade, I guess, is the number one at flyweight, but is that the fight we need to see, or do they need to mix it up and bring uh, Zhang Weili up and, and, and do something a bit bigger? I don't want to see Zhang Weili go up just yet. I'd like to keep her at strawweight. There's contenders, there's some big fights. You know, you've got Rose. We've got a rematch with Joanna Young, Jacek. I mean, these are these are big blockbuster fights, right? And you know, if she can get a few more successful title defenses in 2020, then let's talk about her moving up, and we'll see what the state of the flyweight division is there. As far as Shevchenko goes, I'm less concerned about the contenders that have a number next to their name. I'm more interested in. 
just seeing Shevchenko run through this generation of fighters, much like George St. Pierre did back in the day. So, like you mentioned, I think the two names that jump out, Jessica Andrade and Lauren Murphy, are the two fighters within the top five right now who Shevchenko hasn't fought. So there's a fresh matchups, and I'm sure she'd love to have both those names on her resume with a win next to her, next to their name. The only other person in that top five is Cynthia Calvillo, but you know she's coming off a loss now, so she's going to have some work to do uh, to be a worthy contender. So I'd keep Shevchenko there. It looks like she would have she's come through this past weekend fairly unscathed. You mentioned the knee injury that's fully rehabbed, and I'm sure she'd want to remain active. So why not? Whether it's Andrade first and then Murphy, or Murphy first and then Andrade, get those two names booked against Shevchenko in the first six of the months of 2020. And if she gets through those, then let's see. Maybe it's a Zhang Veili going up, or maybe it's once again Shevchenko going up to bantamweight and contending for the title, whether that's Amanda Nunes or somebody else. Yeah, options galore. I mean, I I like the Lauren Murphy fight. I mean, I know it might not be the most fashionable fight. It may not be the one that draws the biggest number on the, you know, with the box office. Lauren Murphy's won her last four fights at flyweight. I don't think there's anybody else in the division who can uh, who who can who can match that. Certainly against the level of opposition that she's been in there with. So, you know, she's just taking a look at her record. She's five and one uh, at flyweight in the UFC. That's pretty solid. Um, so I think I think she deserves a shot. I think she deserves a shot. She gave one of the best callouts of the year when she beat uh, Lilia Shakirova at UFC 254. Um, one of the, I, I absolutely loved it. She basically laid it out there, said, you know, next time I get in this cage, I'm going to be fighting for a belt. Next time I walk out of the cage, I'm going to be holding the belt. So I thought it was great. And I think she deserves it. And she's making a little bit of noise on social media again um, after after the weekend. And all power to her. I think she deserves that title shot. Um, I guess you put that as like a co-main event fight be, uh, below uh, maybe a higher a higher grade men's title fight where there's a little bit more heat or maybe do it as a co-main under an Amanda Nunes title fight. Who knows? But um, I definitely think that, you know, the fact that she might not be a box office star, that shouldn't, that shouldn't mean that Lauren Murphy gets denied a shot at the belt because at the end of the day, it is a sport. Yeah. It's entertainment business, but this is also a sport and the best people have to fight the best people. And if we're talking current form, Lauren Murphy deserves a shot at the belt. Not sure she'll get it, though, uh, right now. I think Andrade will probably get that next shot. Rest of the UFC 255 card served up plenty. Tim Means and Mike Perry uh, went toe-to-toe for three rounds. Tim Means getting the job done. Um, Katlin Chukagan, you mentioned that she beat Cynthia Calvillo. Let's talk about the fight that opened the card, Sandy. Paul Craig uh, against Mauricio Shogun, who are a rematch um, of a fight that ended in a split draw. I thought Paul Craig won the first fight anyway and that he got a little bit stitched up down there in Sao Paulo. Um, no such problem second time round. Even though Shogun decided to uh, stick his finger up his ass, um, Craig still got the job done and uh, did something that I didn't think anyone would have uh, predicted before the fight. Made Mauricio Shogun who tapped to strikes. If you were listing the potential outcomes uh, for this fight, Shogun tapping to strikes against Paul Craig would not have been high up on that list. That's what happened. Big win 
for the bear Jew and uh, a thoroughly deserved one, I thought. Statement win. A marquee signature name on your resume. A former UFC light heavyweight champion. And you're right, he did get stitched up, in my opinion, in Brazil. So if you take that out of the equation, Paul Craig is now fighting, or, or um, a riding, rather, a three-fight win streak. He's got over this hump of, of you know getting that win over Shogun. I don't know where Shogun goes from here. I think Dana White said in the post-fight press conference that it's, you know, I think it's time he, he calls it a day. And we're talking literally a couple of weeks after Anderson Silva, um, you know, called time, I guess, in many respects. But it, it looks like he'll be fighting outside of the UFC somewhere. Um, we'll find out what the situation with that is. But for Paul Craig to be a part of a, a UFC pay-per-view representing Scotland, representing the UK to get a win like that, fantastic stuff and like i said he's writing some serious form now and uh, we'll see if in 2020 he can build on that momentum because light heavyweight is one of the divisions in the ufc where if you can get a few you know wins put together especially over a few names then getting to a position where you can be in title contention can be a lot quicker than some of the other divisions so Good for Beardew, good for British and Scottish MMA, and yeah, great performance. Yeah, looking at those uh, official UFC light heavyweight rankings, he needs to be fighting someone further up the rankings. He said he wants to he wants to crack the top ten. He mentioned Johnny Walker, he mentioned Misha Serkinov, but you take a look at the the rankings and the form of the guys above him. Almost all of the guys who you would expect to be within sort of striking distance. Almost all of them are coming off wins or they're booked or both. So it's a tough ask to get someone ranked in that sort of middling range, maybe between seven and 12 to agree to a fight when they're coming off a win against the 15 rank, uh, the, the, the number 15 ranked guy. So he deserves a shot. I don't quite know how that's going to pan out for him. Um, he might have to sit and wait for someone to get beat. Uh, Misha Serkinov is fighting soon. If Misha Serkinov and Ryan Spann, I think it is, um, the loser of that fight might make sense um, because they're both ranked above Craig and then he has the option of maybe moving up, taking on someone on the way down, potentially can swap places with them, which he's just done with Misha Shogun, who already will by the time this comes out. I'm sure they will swap places with Shogun at 14, Craig at 15 right now. Um and then work his way up those rankings. It's uh, it's a tricky one, as you say. There are so many fighters down in, in in those rankings who are really in good form and working their way up. And Craig is one of them. So um, looking forward to seeing how he goes. And he's getting better with each fight as well. I'm I'm super impressed with how he's uh, developing as well. He's I think people tend to think of him as a bit of a one trick pony. He's got his submissions, but um, he threw some. He he showed a little bit of striking against Shogun on Saturday night, but. Um, and on, on, on the topic of Shogun Sandu, yeah, I think Dana White called him a shadow of his former self or something like that. Um, and it's hard to it's hard to disagree with that. that. That, with all respect to Paul Craig for getting the win, that wasn't the Shogun that won the UFC light heavyweight title. And it certainly wasn't the Shogun that scared the living daylights out of people fighting in Japan for pride. So I think now might not be a bad time for, for Shogun to uh, have a very long chat with the family and think about what he's going to do next. Um, if he retires, 
then I think he'll go down as a legend of the sport. You know, someone who spanned that pride UFC transitional era, if you like. Um, and uh, yeah, a, a genuine, genuine legend of the sport. Um, as for Craig, great stuff for him. But um, talking about people moving their way up, Sandu, we spoke about Joachim Buckley last week. Um, and I I was at pains to say, watch out for Jordan Wright. Jordan Wright is a finisher. He finishes everybody. He finished everybody except for one guy in the first round. This is going to produce something. Uh, and Buckley was the guy who produced it. Buckley stepped up, did the business again. Brutal knockout. Real sort of heavy-handed stuff. Doing the business again. And uh, he's not a one-trick pony. He's, he's, you know, any worry about him being a flash in the pan. You know, the old John Barnes syndrome I mentioned, I think, after his, after his first win. Um, is he going to get a bit of that? Not so. He comes back in, next appearance, another big knockout. Um, definitely one to watch at 185, Sandu. Yeah, he's been active as well in 2020. He's 3-1. The one loss on his record from 2020 against Kevin Holland, right? Which tells you everything you need to know about the level of competition he's been facing. Listen, it was always going to be incredibly impossible to follow up with arguably the greatest knockout in UFC history, definitely the knockout of 2020, uh, and arguably, you know, if it's not the greatest knockout in UFC history, it's in most people's top three, top five, top ten, etc. But regardless, one of the greatest. To follow up with that and do something very, very similar is going to be nearly impossible. But what he did do is deliver a brutal knockout, and this guy's got some serious power in his hands, absolute bombs, dynamite, and I tell you what, he's got some passion in his post-fight interviews, because he's speaking to Joe Rogan, Simon, and he's talking about someone, and, and I was, in the moment, pretty confused. Rogan mentions James Krause, and I had no idea that there was some back and forth going between these two. So apparently, James Krause has been, I guess, talking some shit <laughs> about Buckley since that knockout. He's been jumping into his comment section on YouTube, apparently, or something. And it looks like this is the fight we're going to get next because Buckley kind of said, that's the guy I want, January 23rd, Fight Island. Almost immediately, James Krause on social media, say my name. So there's something brewing there. And that's a nice that, that's a nice situation because now Buckley's got some heat with someone. Someone that is very familiar to UFC fans and James Krause. So I like where this is headed. Uh, so a good, good performance and a great post-fight interview with Joe Rogan and a brand new fight is potentially set up in a matter of weeks. Yeah. I mean, every, everyone likes a grudge match, don't they? I know. I mean, I'm, I'm as guilty as anyone of being one of those people who likes to talk about the, you know, the honor of martial arts and the sport of, you know, how everything needs to still be considered a sport and the rest of it. Sometimes you just need to let two guys get in there and throw down because they don't get on. Um, and that's what we've got here. Um, after UFC on ESPN plus 38 back in October, um, James Krause referred to Joaquin Buckley as a, quote, shitbox. <laughs> um, and then said, apparently they, they, they sort of come from the same, the same area. And uh, they, uh, he's, he's not a fan of uh, Buckley's attitude. I don't know quite what's happened in the past. But apparently, this was during the post-art press conference, he quoted, I'll go back up to middleweight and whoop his ass. This is Krause. Because Krause operates at welterweight, right? He said, I don't, I, I need only 24 hours to go up to, to middleweight. 
Um, but he can get it though. We'll figure this out, no problem. I know he's got a fight set, but I'll go up to middleweight for that, no problem. Easy work. James Krause is legit. He's he's a very 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 good fighter and a pretty good coach as well. Um, Buckley is a very very powerful, strong middleweight. So um, that would be a really interesting fight to watch because you'd have a guy who is basically all fast twitch, power, knockouts, and you've got someone like Kraus who's a lot more wily, a lot more seasoned, um, very very good on the ground certainly more than capable of holding his own on the feet. So that would be a really interesting fight to watch, aside from the fact that there's this heat. But um, there is this heat, which just makes it all the more interesting. And I would be amazed if the UFC didn't book that one next uh, for uh, for Jurkin Buckley. Um, looking at the rest of this 255 card, Anthony Shevchenko beating Ariana Lipsky. Uh, Friend of the show, Nicholas Dalby, who I know we've both enjoyed uh, interacting with on the European scene over the years, beating Daniel Rodriguez, who came in on short notice. Um, and uh, actually to give Dalby a harder matchup, I think, on paper than uh, than he would have had. Um, but um, Dalby did, did really well. Won the fight on the scorecards. Good performance from him. Uh, were you on social media duty for the prelims on Saturday, Sandu? I was, and just quick one on Nicholas Dolby. If you look at his record over the last couple of years, he has won five fights, and then he's got two no contests. And the most recent no contest was the loss to Jesse Ronson from back in July. But Jesse Ronson just tested positive for performance-enhancing drugs. So you take those out, And Dolby over the last couple of years has been really putting it together because at one point during his first run in the UFC, he got got a couple of losses and got cut. Went to fight for Cage Warriors, loses his first fight returning for Cage Warriors. But then after that, he just kind of figured it all out. And and if my memory serves me correctly, you know, he's openly talked about battling depression and, 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 you know, mental health issues and all the rest of it. So seeing Nicholas Dolby win, yeah, I love that. That's a feel-good moment. Yeah, I mean, one of the one of the just genuinely nicest people you could meet in the sport. You know, he's always got time for you. Um, you know, when you ask him a question, he, he gives you thoughtful, considered answers. He's not just giving you sound bites. He's not just trying to sell tickets or anything like that. He's a, he's a really interesting character to talk to. And uh, yeah, you figure those, um, you know, if you take those no contests out of it, he's riding a five-fight win streak. Um, the other no contest, of course, was a fight that I was at which is, it will it will go down as one of the craziest fight nights I've ever been to. Cage Warriors Night of Champions in June 2019. You fought Ross Houston, who at the time was the welterweight champion of Cage Warriors. Dalby was the interim champion. And the fight got stopped by Mark Goddard because the cage was so full of blood, they couldn't stand up. <laughs> on the on the on on the canvas. It was that bad. It was it was like something from a slasher movie. Um, the whole fight night was incredible. It'd be on Fight Pass. If you've got a couple of hours to kill, pull up Cage Warriors Night of Champions. Cage Warriors 106 from uh, June 2019. Um, but if you're a bit a bit worried about seeing too much blood, maybe skip Ross Houston versus Nicholas Dalby. But yeah, five fights, uh, you know, uh, or five, five legitimate fights since his last defeat. Seven. Uh, seven fights 
since his last legitimate defeat, I suppose, um, which was in Cage Warriors. So great to see Dalby getting the job done and getting back in there. And uh, yeah, he talked about, he's very open about um, some of his battles with depression and all the rest of it. And I think you can only applaud people who are, are able to go public on that sort of thing. I've got uh, a friend of mine um, is is going through similar similar issues and he's he's decided that the best way for him to deal with it is to go pub to sort of be public about it on his social media. And, you know, it, it, he's getting very positive responses from it. And I think it helps let other people know that other people are having problems as well. And sometimes that's all you need to just keep, keep everything, uh, keep everything going. It's a very difficult thing to deal with. Um, and, uh, to deal with it on your own is, is absolutely awful. So kudos to Dalby for doing that. And, uh, kudos to him, for uh, picking up that win. Early prelims were decent. Joe Ban and Jared Gooden served up a decent fight. Carl Dorcas and Dustin Stolfitz was, yeah, it was all right. It's kind of a so-so fight. First fight of the night. We don't get this very often, Sandu, where the very first fight on the card wins fight of the night. But that's what we got. Sasha Palatnikov from Hong Kong. First ever fight from Hong Kong in the UFC beating Lewis Kosi by a third round TKO. I don't know whether you were on early enough to watch that, but it was an absolute banger. I didn't watch that one, um, but I'll take your word for it. And if they're going to get fight of the night, like you said, very rare for the very first fight of the night on the fight pass prelims to to, to get the honours and, and get that bonus. So kudos to those lads. And aside from that, Simon, the only things, the only other things that I quickly wanted to mention, which you've already run through, the Shevchenko fight, she beats the Queen of Violence, Ariane Lipsky. But because Valentina won in a co-main event, that marked the very first time in UFC history where two sisters both won from the same fight card. So that was a nice little, um, you know, a nice little moment to cherish for both the sisters. I'm sure they celebrated on Saturday night. And then again, just running it back to the beginning of the conversation with regards to this particular card, Brandon Moreno defeating Brandon Royval. Yeah, he probably should have been the guy to fight Figueiredo this past weekend. But if nothing else, it's just put a bigger spotlight on him. The fact that he won via first round TKO, defeats Brandon Royval, bit of an unfortunate situation with the, the shoulder dislocation and, and, and all the rest of it. But listen, you'll, you'll take him how you get him. And the fact that these two guys are going to turn around, Figueiredo and Brandon Moreno, in a matter of weeks, they're still at the forefront of everyone's minds. You know, Flyweight doesn't necessarily historically have the biggest names, the most memorable characters, the most memorable fighters. But the fact that they both fought this past weekend, they're in the new cycle, they're going to be fighting in a couple of weeks, which means they'll be doing promotion and interviews and all the rest of it. It's a good time to be both Brandon Moreno and Figueredo. And it's a great testament that the flyweight division in 2020 could produce the fighter of the year. That's fantastic. That would be great. And uh, before we before we move on, big week for the Shevchenko family. Even bigger though, because... Her, uh, their mum, Elena Shevchenko, became a Muay Thai shadow boxing world champion. That is a thing, apparently. Um, it was done virtually via Zoom or something. And uh, she won during the week. So she's technically a world champion. Valentina's a world champion. Antonina gets a win on the fight card. All is well in the world. Right. Well, that was UFC 255. But it was a mad week for MMA, Sandu. I mean... Thursday night is Bellator night now, and uh, it was a big night for the Bellator Featherweight Grand Prix. We have our first finalist, AJ McKee, 
I think everyone thought that he was going to get a really tough test out of Darian Caldwell. And my goodness me, I mean, he turned on the style, finishes Darian Caldwell, and he's in the final. And uh, if anybody didn't think that AJ McKee was the real deal before, I think they will do now. I mean, you said you, you managed to catch that finish on uh, Thursday night. I mean, he looks he looks like a potential champion in waiting, doesn't he? He's one of those guys that Bellator need and are probably happy they've got. Undefeated, 17-0, he can legit be one of the faces of Bellator MMA. And looking forward, you know, if, if Pitbull can also make it to the final, that would be an incredible fight. Normally, tournaments don't really work out in, in your favour with where you want the best guy on the left side of the bracket and the best guy on the right side of the bracket to meet in the final where you can build them along nicely, you can promote the fight perfectly. Like, if if everything, you know, falls into place and the stars align for Bellator, Pitbull defending his championship against AJ McKee, who's undefeated, the young, hot prospect turned into a superstar for the for the promotion at 25 years of age. I mean, that you can't script that kind of stuff. So I I didn't see the entire card, I saw the social clip of the, of the of the submission, which was just incredible. Like, I think that might be in the running for submission of the year. I'd have to kind of look back at the archives and see, you know, what else happened in 2020. Because, you know, recency bias always kicks in. But that was one of the best submissions I've seen in a minute, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, it's not one that I've, I've seen before. I don't think I've ever seen one like that before. I'm sure there have been instances... I mean, it's listed here on Tapology as a modified neck crank from the guard. Because um, at first I thought, it, it's not a guillotine. What's he doing? I didn't know whether he was just looking to control his position. And then it became very apparent that, he, you know, Caldwell was in trouble and he couldn't, you know, he was he was absolutely stuffed. He couldn't do anything about it. And this is a former bantamweight champion of Bellator. This isn't a mug. Um, and uh, McKee just dealt with him, you know, um, 71 seconds it took to get him out of there. And that's the second former Bellator champion that McKee has dealt with in this tournament. So um, really excited to see how he goes in the final. I think a lot of people are expecting it to be Patricio Pitbull, Patricio Fieri. He's taking on Emmanuel Sanchez, a real veteran of uh, of Bellator. Um, He's been in there with Pitbull before, lost out to him, but gave him a decent fight. So I think the smart money is going to be on a McKee uh, Pitbull final and that is that is the biggest fight that they could have done if if they were mapping it out from day one and they said what would be the biggest fight we could do in the final of the Bellator Featherweight Grand Prix it would be Patricio Pitbull versus AJ McKee and we are one fight away from seeing that happen so um, that was a big one a big one for Bellator they must be rubbing their hands together and uh, you know they don't get the same column inches that, that the UFC get but Bellator, kind of on the quiet, are doing a really good job of bouncing back from COVID themselves. It took them a little bit longer to uh, to eventually emerge from their uh, mid year hibernation. Um, but you know they're doing they're doing good things in uh, in Uncasville at the Mohegan Sun. They've got a nice little operation set set up there, and uh, they're putting on some decent shows. Good wins on that card. Jason Jackson beat Benson Henderson. Um, the size difference between those two was quite startling when I saw them face off. Uh, Jackson towering over Henderson, who was moving back up to welterweight. Uh, wrestling prodigy turned MMA prospect Joey Davis uh, improved his record to 8-0 with a solid win. Uh, bantamweight 
Raffian Stotts, who I really, really like, he got a win over Keith Lee, brother of um, Kevin Lee, uh, on on the card as well. And uh, yeah, no, we had some we had some decent stuff. JJ Wilson, uh, the Maori kid, is also well worth watching as well. Um, he went, he improved his unbeaten record as well uh, with a, with a twenty second knockout um, against Sergio Dabari. So plenty, plenty to enjoy on Thursday night. But uh, yeah, it was a busy week, as I say. I mean, we also had um, LFA. Now, I don't know whether I think you got to be a pretty hardcore fan to be a regular fan of LFA. But LFA are one of the main kind of like feeder leagues to the UFC, if you like. Um, and um, we saw on Friday night it was the LFA debut of Alex Pereira, um, who two weight glory world champion and a man who holds not one but two victories over Israel Adesanya in kickboxing, including a vicious left hook knockout that absolutely starched the style bender. Um, he had a bit of a dabble with MMA in like 2016 or so and uh, was a little bit hit and miss, went back to kickboxing and has done great things. Now he's back in MMA and uh, my goodness me, huge knockout in the main event at LFA on Friday night, Sandu. And that was probably the biggest viral moment of the week for MMA. I think it it probably did more than anything else. Um, So absolutely huge win for Pereira, who you never know. The UFC are in the mood for fast-tracking people right now. Look at Hamzat Chimaev. Um, Could they do the same thing with Alex Pereira and sling him in the middleweight division and see how he goes? Yeah, they've got a good relationship with LFA. They've signed a lot of LFA guys. And this is another situation like Joe Duffy. Why wouldn't you want to get someone that's got a a win over your current middleweight champion? And even if he doesn't get to that Izzy fight, the fact that this guy is a knockout artist, I'm not too familiar with his glory kickboxing and just kickboxing background in general because that's just not my scene. I don't cover it. I don't really watch kickboxing that regularly. Of course... I am aware and I was aware that he has a win over Israel Adesanya. So I was kind of paying attention. Again, I'm not tuning in to the entire broadcast, but I saw that social clip of the knockout. The knockout was incredible. He made it look completely effortless. And yeah, I think if I'm the UFC, I'm signing him up now. Don't wait. Don't waste any time. Get him in the UFC and start getting him some fights as soon as possible. While Israel Adesanya at the top of the division is perhaps going to go fight Jan Blahovic, maybe John Jones, or maybe defend his middleweight championship against Robert Whittaker, whoever else, over the next year to 18 months. Why not get in Pereira now and start building him up? Let's see you know, what he can do. Get, do some favorable matchmaking early on. Test the waters at that UFC level. But yeah, if I'm the UFC, I'm signing him ASAP. Yeah, definitely. And any kickboxing uh, fans out there will be aware of the name of Simon Marcus, a Canadian kickboxer one of the best fighters in the world. He holds two wins over him as well. This this guy is legit. Uh, middleweight champion of glory uh, since 2017. He also holds the interim light heavyweight belt for glory, which he won last year. So um, he's quite happy to move up and uh, take, on, take on some of the bigger boys. But his overall kickboxing record is uh, 41 and 6. And 30 of those wins were knockouts. Uh, as for MMA, he's now three and one in MMA, so still a fledgling MMA career. But when you're knocking people out like that, then uh, you know the UFC are going to take notice. And as you say, with uh, with a pair of wins over Adesanya, including a knockout on his record, 
I wouldn't be at all surprised if they decided to pull the trigger on him and maybe bring him in in the early part of 2020. Maybe let him get one more fight in for LFA first, just to really build that momentum, then get him in. Or get him on the contender series. That might be another option um, against another stand-up fighter. That would be a very, very interesting situation if he ended up in that uh, UFC middleweight division. Something else that was interesting this week, Sandu, was Kayla Harrison. Now, she's the PFL women's lightweight champion from last year. Um, but as we know, the PFL had no season in 2020. They decided to basically shutter um, fight operations, if you like, throughout 2020 because of COVID and because of the fact that their their model is based on a season format. As you know well, you worked for the guys uh, last year. Um, it's It's harder to maintain the whole season when you've got this sort of situation. So what they did, they basically said, we're writing off 2020, we're coming back in 2021. Problem with that is you've got a roster full of decent fighters who can't make a paycheck. Um, and uh, I think this is the first example of it where they've let them let someone fight outside of their own organisation. And it was Kayla Harrison, the lightweight champion, competing in Invicta on Friday night at 145 pounds. And that's the thing that really, really was of, of interest because she hasn't fought 145 before. Um, and they don't have a 155 division in the UFC. So maybe a little bit of groundwork being set there, Sandu. She went in there, she did the business, she got the win as expected and looked pretty good doing it. She'll be back in PFL in 2021 looking to defend her lightweight title. But beyond that, who knows? Yeah, it looks like she might actually compete for Invicta one more time before the PFL season starts. It looks like they're, they're going to try and turn her around fairly quickly, get a one more fight maybe in January or February, most likely again at featherweight. And it does make me wonder if the PFL season next year, and they haven't announced all the weight classes just yet, but I'm wondering if you know the PFL women's division for 2021 is a featherweight division and a featherweight season because that way... If by the end of 2021, if Kayla Harrison is successful, she can claim champ champ status. You know, the champion at 155, the champion at 145, and it'll give her an entire year to really get used to cutting down to 145 pounds regularly, consistently, successfully, etc., and all the rest of it. Obviously, off to a fantastic start this past weekend. But the ultimate goal for her must be to get to the UFC. Obviously, the biggest fight on the table for her at 145 pounds would be against Amanda Nunes at some point down the road. And even if Amanda Nunes, perhaps by the time she reaches the UFC, is calling time on her career, we don't know what's going to happen, right? A year or two years from now. And if the UFC are interested in keeping the 145 division alive in whatever shape and form that is, if it's not going to be a full... 10, 15, 20 fighter roster with rankings. And if they just want to have someone that can be a champion and defend the belt once or twice a year, Kayla Harrison would check a lot of boxes for them. All-American, Olympic gold champion, a champion from another promotion, obviously can do the media rounds and interviews fairly well, the All-American girl next door, you know, all the rest of it, right? So, yeah, like, you have to think by the end of next year, if she is successful with the PFL once again and becomes a champion of that season-long format, it's got to be the UFC next for her. And that's where the biggest paydays are going to be in MMA for Kayla Harrison. So, yeah, off to a great start. Let's see what happens in 2021. Yeah, it's an interesting one because she trains at ATT, 
as does Amanda Nunes. I, th- I think I read something a few a few months back that she might even be one of the team captains, if you like, of uh, ATT. One of the captains uh, and one of the sort of the senior members, if you like. Um, so obviously she knows Amanda really well, and she said that you know she's not in a in a, in a huge rush to uh, to fight Amanda and. But if it if it happened one day, they would they would both be professional about it and and go about it the right way, and respectfully. Um, but I think that's where she sees herself eventually in the UFC fighting for that one hundred and forty five pound belt. Great point about um, the PFL potentially making that women's division a one forty five division. I hadn't considered that. That that might make a lot of sense. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how all that pans out. As you say, PFL starting to release a few bits and pieces of news about their season um already and uh, i'm sure we'll get more in the coming weeks speaking of news sandu it's been a big news week as well with some big fights named yeah absolutely we've got conor mcgregor dustin poirier simon the rematch it's official it was interesting conor mcgregor was the signature everybody was waiting for we all knew that dustin had already kind of signed his bout agreement and conor mcgregor and i actually like this he made it official and the announcement was made on his website via his media outlet, the MacLife. So everybody else had to kind of you know, source the MacLife as, as the first site to, re- you know, to, to report the news, which I actually love that. Um, but it's done. It's official. You know, and even just earlier today, the UFC have made it official. They, they slapped out that social media poster, which kind of tells you it's going to go down and all the rest of it. So I'm interested to see you know, what the location is. We have a date, January 23rd on pay-per-view. For those of you listening in the UK and Ireland, it'll be on BT Sport box office, FYI. It looks like it's going to be on Fire Island in Abu Dhabi because Dana White has mentioned that there'll be the, the new arena where they can pack in some fans. It's a revenue generator for them, of course. You know, Conor McGregor sells. He, he does you know, shift some tickets, Simon. <laughs> um, yeah. He's, he shifts a few tickets. Um, but yeah, it's great. What a way to kick off 2021, you know. We obviously got the announcement of Max Holloway fighting Calvin Qatar. That's going to be the first fight night. That's a banger as well. And then, yeah, it, it, you know, this pay-per-view to kick off 2021. Let's see what the, the state of the landscape is then. But yeah, I'm buzzing. I'm absolutely buzzing because we've talked about this before. When Conor McGregor fights, business picks up across the board, especially for the folks that work behind the scenes like you and I in the business. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I've come to sort of resent or dislike Conor McGregor news when it has nothing to do with him fighting, because people were just so obsessed with him, and I understand why, because he's a superstar. But it, it's just, it's just ground me down over the years about oh, Conor McGregor's doing this, Conor McGregor's doing that. Conor McGregor made his star by getting in the cage and fighting to a ridiculously high level while also calling his shots on the way. And he's achieved things in the sport that no one else has in terms of how to carve your own niche and, you know, manifest your own career, you know, and and he deserves great praise for the way he's done it. Um, and uh, I'm, ex- I'm so, I was so excited at the start of 2020 when he said he was going to have this season and he had that fight... In January, I was there for it, the Cowboy Cerrone fight. And the way he got that win, it was like, wow, Connor's back, you know? And this 2020 was going to be a huge year. Now, obviously, circumstances out of everybody's control completely put the kibosh on that. And 
as a result, we haven't seen him in the cage since, and it's been a great shame. And I understand, I understand why the UFC haven't been in a great rush to bring him back during this sort of COVID era because they can't maximize, uh, they can't maximize their revenue. You know, they can't. You know, obviously the pay per view will go through the roof. Um, we know this, um, but the other stuff, the residual stuff, uh, is is harder to come by. And obviously, he's still going to want a huge paycheck. So it's all about making the numbers add up. So I kind of understand. Now he's coming back again. I am incredibly excited. And I'm even more excited at the fact that it's Dustin Poirier because Dustin Poirier is a guy who deserves the big fights. He's been he's been in and around the top end of the UFC lightweight division for ages. And yeah, he had his shot at Khabib, but it didn't quite work out for him. He's still an elite fighter. He's still one of the best in the division. He's got that backstory with Connor. Thankfully, in my opinion at least, it looks as if it's going to be a little bit more cordial than maybe the first meeting where they really didn't seem to get on too well. Connor just wound him up to the point that I think he'd, he'd already beaten him uh, before they even started that previous fight. This one, I think, will be a little bit a little bit different. It's a great matchup for Connor. He knows he can win the fight. Um, and uh, what it means is one of those guys is probably going to be fighting for a belt after that after that fight um because it sounds like they're not going to be fighting for a belt at this particular event dana's clinging on to the the hope um that um khabib's going to come back and khabib this week said he isn't so i don't quite know how well that's going to pan out so uh we don't think there's going to be a belt on this one but you can guarantee that the winner of this fight will be in for a belt the next time so we'll see how it all pans out but huge fight i'm just so pleased that it looks like we might see a few fans back at the events, which is great. I'm just pleased to see the biggest star in the sport getting back involved, you know, and that that's where we want him. That's where we want him. Get him in the cage. Let's see Connor doing what he does. And uh, win, lose, or draw, I'd love to see Connor fight three, if I'm being greedy, four times in 2021. Because I, I, think, I think the sport is a better place to be when Connor McGregor's in there fighting. Absolutely. And you talked about the lightweight picture, Simon. Obviously, we've got Dustin Poirier, Conor McGregor, the rematch in January. But prior to that, in literally a matter of weeks, Tony Ferguson, Charles Oliveira, co-main event for that UFC 256 pay-per-view. Great to see Alpha Kiwi come back. Obviously, he's coming off a loss. But if he can end 2020 with a win, he's right back in the mix as well. And I guess the only other kind of names that are still open, and I guess we'll find out what their fate is, We've got Michael Chandler, who the UFC signed, and he needs to make his debut for the promotion. Justin Gaethje is coming off a loss to Khabib in that title fight. I mean, that's the fight to make, right? Because if you can get those two together, then in the in the next couple of months, we're going to have literally like the you know the, the the six biggest names, or I guess the six names that are most worthy of jockeying for position to fight for the title, especially if Khabib is going to drop the belt. If Dana White can't convince him to come back for one more fight, and if Khabib is adamant that his time is over and he's retired and he's walking off into the sunset, then it's not just one guy. You need two contenders. So to have three fights with those six names that I just mentioned, vying and jockeying for position for those two positions, I think that's the move. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, the lightweight division for a long time has always been one of the marquee divisions in the UFC, You know, just in terms of strength and depth of talent. It's that kind of average size 
of, of, of athletes. So there's always a deep talent pool. And with Khabib stepping away, it seems to have revitalized everything. It's like the school teachers left the classroom and everyone's kicking off. It's great. And um, I think you've got so many great fights to make. And all of a sudden, because it looks like the belt might be up for grabs again, everyone is absolutely champing at the bit to get back in there. And they're maybe not quite so selective as to who they'll fight. Everyone wants a piece of anybody. And, you know, Dan Hooker, he needs a fight. Rafael Dos Anjos has just jumped into the rankings at number six. You know, you've got Felder knocking about. He seems to have rediscovered his, his zest and someone who maybe was looking to step back. He's now back in there, even though he lost out to uh, to RDA. You mentioned Ferguson. You mentioned Gaethje. You mentioned Chandler. You know, there's, there's so much talent there. Let's get them in there. I mean, they won't do a tournament, but it's as good as a tournament, isn't it? Because you've got so many fight, so many fighters who are all in that same sort of uh, same sort of area in terms of their ability. Winners move on and work their way up to the belt, and it's going to be great to see. Um, Khabib coming back might muddy the waters, if anything. Um, but yeah, it's an exciting place to be that UFC lightweight division. I'm absolutely buzzing for it. And fingers crossed, fingers crossed, 2021 is an absolutely colossal year for the sport. And the lightweight division is likely to be the epicenter of that. I think uh, there's just so many big fights you can make at 155. And uh, as I say, looks like the belt's going to be up for grabs as well. Should be good. And with that being said, Simon, obviously prior to talking about this weekend's big UFC fight night card, which is really, in my opinion, a one fight card. There's two names at the top of that card that everyone's going to know. And that's the fight everyone's going to be interested in. Curtis Blades versus Derek Lewis. But we also have the return of Iron Mike Tyson versus Roy Jones Jr. It's an exhibition bout, but it's on pay-per-view. It's on BT Sport box office for everyone in the UK and Ireland. I believe Triller is the app that's carrying it in a bunch of markets. And Fight TV, Fight are also carrying it. So check your local listings with regards to where you can get it. But I guess, Simon... What are your thoughts on a couple of guys in their 50s boxing in an exhibition bout? And I guess most people still aren't aware of all the various rules that are in place for this one. And I guess you're going to have to manage your expectations in terms of what kind of fight you're likely to see. But listen, it's 2020, Simon, and we're getting a Tyson fight. We're getting a Tyson fight. I think it's eight two-minute rounds, if I remember rightly. Run me through these rule differences. Have you got the rule differences in front of you? I don't, but from what I remember, you, there's no, there's no judges. I know this. Yeah, there's no. And I think if if someone gets knocked down, then the, the fight's called off immediately. If someone gets cut, the fight's called off immediately. There's no knockouts. It's eight two-minute rounds. It's meant to be just a sparring session, um, and there's no judges to score it. Um, so there, there'll be no, you know, quote-unquote winner declared after the after the fight's over. So no one's going to kind of get their hand. So it's all a bit weird in terms of like, it's just even Dana White at the post-fight press conference, when he heard some of the stipulations and the rules of how this is going to play out. Um, I actually still want some clarification because I, I feel like from when the, fir- the fight was first announced to even now, I feel like they've been moving 
the the goalpost a little bit and i don't feel like the 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 solidified rules have actually been promoted properly and there's no clear clarity clarification on the whole situation but i feel like when they do their media day this week there will be some questions asked and we're going to finally get some answers here but it's not going to be a proper boxing match with judges around the ring scoring gear and all the rest of it yeah it's it's it is slightly bizarre and it's obviously it's going to be on pay-per-view, right? So um, are they putting the whole fight card on pay-per-view? Cause there's some other fights on this card. Jake Paul, the YouTuber is fighting Nate Robinson in a cruiserweight fight. Badu Jack, former world champion is fighting and Vidal Riley. If anybody has been watching any of this whole YouTuber boxing business, Vidal Riley is a British boxer who, trained KSI, the British YouTuber, to face Logan Paul uh, in a fight that did an insane number uh, of, uh, of pay-per-view buys. He's fighting former UFC heavyweight Rashad Coulter in a cruiserweight fight. So um, there's, some, there's, some, there's some interesting matchups on that card, but it's weird. It's I mean, the WBC have made up some phony baloney title belt for this this Tyson Jones fight. How can you award a championship belt in a fight where no one's going to be declared the winner? How does that work? That doesn't make any sense either. So the whole thing just seems, it's all smoke and mirrors and BS. I mean, if they're going to get in there and just start hitting each other, have a ref, have judges, and have a verdict at the end of it. If you want to call it an exhibition, call it an exhibition. Um, I don't know how much of this is the Athletic Commission putting restrictions on them. I don't know. It's weird. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'll be honest. I don't know if I'm going to buy the pay-per-view because I just don't think it's going to be worth it. What I am going to watch is the fight that happens earlier in the night. Um, also on BT, Joe Joyce, Daniel Dubois. That is a proper heavyweight fight. Two of Britain's best at heavyweight. That's going to be an absolute banger. Also on BT. Yeah, I remember seeing Joe Joyce box a couple of years ago. And I was on, and I, I don't cover boxing. Boxing is not my scene whatsoever. But it just so happened that Michael Benham Page was making his boxing debut on the undercard. So I was there to cover MVP. And Joe Joyce was the main event, just you know, making his way up. And he's quite agile for a big man. His post-fight celebration, he kind of does this kind of jumping twist of, you know, yeah, flip or whatever you want to call it. And um, I thought, wow, for a heavyweight, he can move. So, yeah, and it's always great to see, I guess, you know, and, 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 and thank God there's an infrastructure there in the UK from an amateur level, the Olympic level, and when you go pro with matchroom boxing, BT Sports, Sky Sports, and all these guys carrying, again, all these primetime fights. It's, boxing is something that's, you know, always going to be around, and, and it's still thriving to this day in various weight classes. So really great to see that. Um, yeah, but back to the Tyson situation. I'm not going to buy it. I've got a feeling there'll be a cheeky way for me to watch it with my, with my BT credentials. So I might have a little, I might have a little look. I am going to be on UFC duty. I'm going to be on my shift for the UFC Fight Night card, so I'm going to have to figure out a way to watch it, especially if the the broadcasts both um, overlap one another. But it's going to be interesting to see what the, the analytics are, how this fight week progresses. I can always get my finger on the pulse with how certain clips do on social media to find out if there's genuine interest there in a particular event or a fight. 
So, man, 2020 is bizarre. Who we would have never thought in a million years at the beginning of the year that by the by the end of the year we'll have a, a Mike Tyson fight to look forward to. He looks in shape. Looking at some of the pictures online, for for a guy who's 54, I mean, he's definitely in incredible shape. I don't know what's going what's going to happen on Saturday night, Simon. It might be a shit show. It might be a circus. Something's gonna something's gonna happen. And it's either going to leave people satisfied or leave people with a bitter taste in their mouth. So there's a lot riding on this, especially for this new platform, Triller, because they've banked on Mike Tyson big time here. So let's see what happens. Yeah, one of the rules I do remember was with regard to drug testing. They they, they are testing for, for drugs, but, but they're not testing for marijuana, which is probably just as well because that's how Mike Tyson makes his money these days. And that's going to be in his system pretty much constantly at this point. So so that's probably for the best that they're not testing for marijuana. But um, yeah, it's one of those where I think the chances are you'll get the best bits on social media the next day. Um, it's not, you know, at, at the absolute longest, it's going to be 16 minutes of fighting. That's 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 a that's a UFC undercard fight. Right. Um, and you're likely to see more punches in a UFC undercard fight as well. Um, but, you know, whenever Tyson does anything, people will watch. And, uh, you know, 54 years old, and I think Roy Jones is up 51, I think. So uh, all power to the pair of them getting in there and still doing it. And, uh, you know, you hope both of them come out of it relatively unscathed. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't want this to be a trend. I don't want Evander Holyfield suddenly thinking he wants to jump in with one of them because that's the next thing. You know that's going to happen. Evander's already made some noises and that, that worries me. He's taken too many punches to the head already. I don't want to see him in there again. Uh, to be honest, so is Mike Tyson. So hopefully it goes off. They both make a good payday and then we go, well, that was good, but let's not do that again. Um, and, uh, you know... Combat sports in the main, especially boxing, it's a young man's sport. So, uh, yeah. But you know, we'll all we'll all we'll all be looking for the result on Sunday morning if we haven't stayed up for it. But um, we have got a heavyweight fight that we are going to cover on Saturday night, and that's uh, the headliner of UFC on ESPN 18: Curtis Blades versus Derek Lewis. Um, I. I'm going to hesitate before I say this because I don't want to be a negative ninny. I don't think this is going to be a particularly fun fight to watch. I just don't. I just don't. I mean, Derek Lewis fights tend to be a lot of fun um, because he ends up, he goes in there and a lot of the time things don't go too well for him for a bit. And then eventually he pulls it out and then he, he ends up starching somebody and it, it's amazing and it's great. Curtis Blades knows what he's good at and there aren't many people if any right now in the UFC heavyweight division who are as good at what he does as him he goes in there he closes the distance he takes you down and he smothers you and does just enough so that the fight doesn't get stood up it's a very effective tactic it's got him up to I think third in the UFC heavyweight rankings and you know it's a legitimate sorry second in the UFC rankings he says just checking the list um it's it, it, it's it's a legitimate way to fight it's not a fun way to uh to uh to to actually get fans or anything you know he's effective but he's not entertaining 
And I don't know if Derek Lewis's takedown defence is going to be good enough to keep him standing up for long enough to starch Curtis Blades. If he can keep it standing, I think he will starch Curtis Blades. But I just think Blades has gotten a little bit more refined with the way he goes about his takedowns now. And um, yeah, and I, I just... I don't want to be negative. I just think this main event is going to suck, Sandy. I'm sorry. Nah, I mean we we like to we like to call it like we see it, Simon. Right? And judging on his last performance against Alexander Volkov, I think everyone knows what kind of performance we're going to get out of Curtis Blades. After that Volkov performance, he thought he'd done enough to get a title shot. Dana White had a completely different takeaway. He was not complimentary of his performance whatsoever. So, I mean, if Curtis Blades wants to really you know, hit home with the fans and with the boss and and try and put himself in a situation where he is fighting for a title in 2021. If I'm him, I'm really angling for a finish here. But, you know, standing with Derek Lewis, is that the smart thing to do? That's where Derek's going to be competitive. That's where Derek Lewis is going to have the biggest threat. He's going to throw those dynamite bombs in his left and right hand at you and, and try and knock your head off. So... You know, this is a big one. Even for Derek Lewis, this is a big one. You know, it's not just about Curtis Blades, who's obviously ranked number two in, you know, riding a four-fight win streak. Derek Lewis himself, he's, you know, had a couple of losses. Obviously, he had a title fight against Daniel Cormier, then followed that up with a loss against JDS. But since then, you know, three wins in a row, Blagoy, Ivanov, Ilya Latifi, and Alexi Olenek. Solid names, solid solid matchups, and he's improved quite a bit. He's coming off a TKO win as well. So, um, going to be tough going to be tough because Curtis, Curtis Blades, like you said, he's a he's someone that has some serious fight IQ in terms of knowing what he's good at and how he can eke out a win. So it's going to be interesting to see how this one plays out and what the, the benefit is for the winner, especially if it's Blades. The thing is, Simon, when you look at the heavyweight picture right now, Stipe Miocic, the champion, he's looking for some names. And the biggest names and the biggest fights available to him right now on paper would be a rematch against Francis Ngannou or John Jones moving up to heavyweight. So whoever wins this fight, I don't think is a shoo-in to fight for the title next anyway. So it's a fight night card, doesn't have the biggest names. The heavyweight main event could be a bit of a snoozer. I'm not going to blame people if they check out on this one. Yeah, and I'm I, I hate myself for saying for speaking because here's the thing, right? It's not I'm not hating on Curtis Blades. I just don't think it's going to be a fun fight to watch. Curtis Blades is is an elite level uh, mixed martial artist, right? There's no bone. You don't get ranked second in the UFC heavyweight division if you suck, right? He is a top draw fighter. He's also caught between a rock and a hard place because he's capable of beating all most heavyweights in the UFC. The problem he's got is that the guy who stands between him and the champion is a guy who's, at, who's finished him twice. Francis Ngannou. And it what you know, it brutalized him on both on both uh on both occasions. I was at the first one in uh, in Zagreb in Croatia. So he it's he's in a tough spot because A, he's not got a particularly crowd pleasing fighting style. B, the guy who he needs to beat to get to the belt has absolutely smashed him twice. UFC are in no rush to book that fight again. You mentioned the John Jones fight. John Jones isn't going to move up to heavyweight to fight Curtis Blades. With all due respect to Curtis Blades, that's not he's not sitting there going, oh yeah, that's the fight I want. 
he'll come straight in and fight for the belt because he's John Jones. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know quite what Curtis Blades can do short of going to Bellator <laughs> and, you know, where he might get, you know, he can have a run and go for a belt there. Cause I just can't, I can't see him. I can't see a scenario where he's going to fight for the title. I, you know, even if, even if he goes in there and does a number on, on Derek Lewis, his stock doesn't rise all that much. And he's still got the same barriers between where he is now and where he wants to be. And that sucks for him because he's good. Um, it's just unfortunate that the you know his his tools don't lead him to be someone with a with a, a spectacular highlight reel. Um, so it's 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 a tough one. Um, but you know, as you say, it's it's not the most stellar fight card. You've got Devin Clark and Anthony Smith in the co-main event. Devin Clark's on a on a little win streak. He's picked up a couple of decision wins um, in decent fights. But he's moving up a couple of levels to face Anthony Smith, who needs to pick up some form himself. So I don't know. I don't quite know what we're going to get out of that. I mean, if Anthony Smith hits form again, he should win that fight. But Devin Clark is a big, strong, light heavyweight. So we'll see how that goes. Just looking down the rest of the card. The name that leaps off the card is Amir Albazi, who is a London shoot fighters uh, prospect. Um, we saw him at Bellator 200 way back when. Um, he picked up a good win at Bellator 200 uh, back in 2018. Um, he went over to Brave, fought for Brave in uh, Bahrain and got beat by Jose Torres. Um, but that's the only loss he's had. And uh, he then bounced back for another fight in Brave and then joined the UFC, won his debut in July over Malcolm Gordon. Now he's fighting uh, Zalgas Zumagalov. Um on, on Saturday night. So that's going to be, uh, you know, an opportunity for him to start to build some form at flyweight. And as I say, London shoot fighters guy, Sandu. So worth keeping an eye on. Yeah, absolutely. I like London shoot fighters, obviously London born, born and bred and raised. They've always been uh, the, the, the main gym and they've produced some great fighters over the year. Obviously the, the biggest name right now is still Michael Vernon page. But Amir Al-Bazi is definitely someone people should keep an eye on uh, for in the UFC. Also, uh, worth noting, um, signed to Paradigm Sports Management, same um, agency that Conor McGregor has ownership of, and have the likes of Michael Bisping on their roster, the aforementioned Michael Venom Page, and a bunch of others. Yeah, and uh, just, just to round things off, the opening fight of that, that main card could turn in the fight of the night. Bill Algio... Um, against Spike, Spike Carlisle. Spike Carlisle, heavy-handed, um, ginger hair, bit of a character. Bill Algio, El Senor Perfecto, I think he calls himself. He's the guy who people will remember got beat by Brendan Lochnane in the Contender Series, but ended up in the UFC eventually anyway, stepping in on short notice um, and uh, doing a doing a pretty good job, to be fair to him. Uh, on his UFC debut against Ricardo Lamas. Uh, he lost the unanimous decision in that fight, but did very well, looked very competitive and looked like someone who could hang with some of the best guys in the world at 45. So he's got an opportunity now against another guy who, in terms of UFC experience, is at a similar level to himself in Spark Carlisle. was very heavy-handed. So that'll be an interesting one. That could well serve up fight of the night. Prelims, 
Rachel Ostovich, Gina Mazzani is on that card. Ashley Evans-Smith is on that card. Um, Luke Sanders is on that card. But yeah, it really is about that heavyweight main event. Um, if Derek Lewis can get a win, then maybe there are bigger things ahead for him. Curtis Blades is in a tough spot. Um, but that's that's the story of that fight card. It's kind of the calm before the storm. We're getting some big stuff coming up at the end of the year. This card, not the most fantastic, but, um, you know, what are you going to do? You know, they can't all be home run hitters and you never know. Sometimes these fight cards, they haven't got the big names on. Sometimes they serve up a few absolute bangers. So uh, I'll be watching. It'll be my job to watch it, but I'll be watching it anyway. Because, uh, you know, I just love love watching MMA on a Saturday night. Yeah, likewise. I'm going to be watching because I get paid to watch and do my job. But I will say this. In Canada, here in Toronto, uh, and I think other parts of the country, we just started lockdown as of today. It's a 28-day lockdown. I believe the UK is currently under lockdown. This weekend in the US, it's Thanksgiving weekend, so it's a, it's a holiday weekend anyway. And when you think about Saturday night being fight night, you've got Tyson fighting, and then you've got a UFC card. I just feel like it's going to be one of those weekends and one of those Saturday nights where if you're a fight fan, you're going to end up just watching fights anyway. Whatever, whatever you get, whether it's boxing, the UFC, you're going to end up watching it, and hopefully... The, you know the guys and girls that are performing they can you know on a, on a quieter fight card with perhaps not the biggest names that's your opportunity to do something special both in the cage your post-fight interview you know go into your boxer gimmicks and try and do something where you can be memorable and hey you know if you can come out of this weekend unscathed there's no reason why the ufc may not want to turn you around quickly for one of these cards in December. Everything's moving and shaking all the time. COVID is still an issue. Fighters aren't making weight. They've got Davison Figueredo, who lives in Brazil, sticking around in Vegas so he can defend his title again. So let's see what happens. But yeah, for a viewing perspective, from a consumer perspective, I think right now there's a lot of people at home compounded with the fact, like I said, in the US specifically, with it being Thanksgiving weekend. So yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of time on the couch with food and beer and booze and watching fights. It sounds like me most weekends, to be fair. I should, <laughs> I, should, I should probably ease off that sort of behavior. But yeah, that is the Brit Pack this week. Um, as I say, we had a mad week, a mad week last week. Things have calmed down a little bit this week. So, um, but there's still stuff stuff to enjoy, whether it be MMA, whether it be boxing. going to be a bit of both, I think. And uh, yeah, I'm still looking forward to it nonetheless. And it's all going to kick off in a big way when we hit December. Sandu, I think that's all we've got. Any other small piece of news? We have we have our own domain name for our website now. So you don't have to remember the Substack uh, domain name anymore. The BritPackMMA.com. That's all you need to know. There you go. The BritPackMMA.com is the website to go to. Go to the website. Add it to your favorites. So you can just click there, you know, every once in a while when the, when a new show drops. But for our social media, it's at the Brit Pack MMA on Twitter. And for those of you listening on Apple Podcasts, like I ask you every single week, drop a review. Hey, you don't have to drop a review. You can always just drop a question or a comment. Give us some feedback. We'll read it. Perhaps we'll read it on air. Um, but it does really help. It really helps us, you know, get 
promoted on, on the Apple podcast algorithm. So if you could do that for us, for those of you that listen on Apple podcasts, that would be fantastic and much appreciated. Simon is at Simon Head on Twitter, at Simon Head Sport on Instagram. I am at Sandu MMA on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. I'm still annoyed someone got Simon Head on Instagram before me. <laughs> still, that rankles with me. Every time you read that out, I'm like, why can't I have the same username all the way across? I'm not changing my Twitter name anyway. But uh, yes, another show in the can. Enjoy the fights this weekend. And uh, we will be back to pick through the best of it and uh, lead into a busy, busy month of December. Uh, the Brit Pack will keep on rolling all the way through the rest of 2020. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the fights. And uh, if you're stateside, enjoy that Thanksgiving turkey. We'll speak to you next week.